Hi, I'm Kelsey. I'm an IVF warrior and infertility advocate using my platform to spread awareness about infertility. And I'm Elizabeth. I'm a certified fertility coach, life coach, birth and bereavement doula, and new parent educator. I'm here to support and serve the tribe throughout their journey from conception to bringing your baby home and everything along the way. Welcome to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Where we talk about the dreams and dilemmas of life, fertility, parenthood, and everything in between. We hope you enjoy this episode. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Welcome back to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Today, we are going to be talking to two-time Olympian Katie Bam about her experience through attending two Olympics, going through the IVF process, and then having her healthy baby boy. Today, Kelsey is out getting her COVID test, so or not test, excuse me, vaccine. So she won't be able to join us today, but I just want to give her a quick shout out that we are missing her and we will see her on our next episode. So hi, Katie. Good to see you. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes. So let's start first off, I guess, way back to what, what is it that you do? You play a professional sport and yes, is so what? I play field hockey. Well, I played field hockey. Um, okay. I joined the U.S. national team when I was 16 years old, and I trained for the 2008 Olympics, and I didn't make it. And then I trained for the 16 or the 12 and the 16, and I made both of those Olympics. And then I retired after 2016 and got into coaching. So I'm a coach now. Okay. So when being from the West Coast, field hockey is not really a thing here, you know. Mm-hmm. So I can't even imagine that it was that big there that it's you're literally tr- training for the Olympics because we, I, we just, maybe it's a thing, but I don't know about it here. We're all like soccer and those sorts of things. But so when you're saying that you're training for the Olympics, what does that look like, like compared to somebody else who's just playing? So it's full-time with the national team. Okay. So it's pretty much six days a week that you're just full-time training at your job. Yeah. So you wake up in the morning, you train, you eat. If you're lucky enough, you get a quick nap in and then you go back to training and then you have dinner and you go to sleep and you do it all over again the next day. For how long? Like all year? Well, like, what is that? Yeah. So like, so So you move to where they are training and live there. Okay. Yep. So I've lived in San, I've lived in Virginia beach to train and then the team moved to San Diego and then the team moved back to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So I've lived in three different places for three different Olympic cycles. Okay. And you pretty much move there and it's your, you're dedicated to it. And so I was lucky enough to have a coach that kind of let me in the off season. So when you're just training and you're not competing, I was able to go to school and okay. then I would go back and train full time. So I, it took me like seven years to graduate college just be, so I could do both. Uh-huh. Um, but it is a full time th- gig. So like the slogan of in the US at the Olympic Training Center is like, it's not every four years, it's every day. So people do get to watch it every four years. But for us, we're living it every day. Wow. And so which Olympics did you go to? You, what countries were you in? I was in London for 2012 and Rio for 2016. And how were those experiences? They were very different. 
um, as I think you could probably imagine. Yeah. Um, London was phenomenal. Like they kicked it out of the park. It was everything you can imagine from an Olympic perspective, but our team did not do very well. We came in last place. And okay. so the Olympic experience was great. The hockey experience wasn't great. And then we went into Rio where the Olympic experience is a little bit different. I wouldn't say it was bad. It was just different. Uh Um, Things were way more spread out. So you didn't get to like experience as much around the the village and stuff. Um, And then the hockey was great. So we came in, we ended up in fifth place. So we did much better. Good. Um, So it was kind of like, I'm really glad that I got both experiences because they were so different, which I'm sure, which I'm learning is going to be a lot like kids and a lot like an IVF dream. Yeah, so yeah. it did help prepare in some way for the differences and the successes at various points. But um, yeah, so that was my experience with the Olympics and the two different villages and the two different experiences. That was going to be my next question is, do you feel like there's any correlation with how you prepared and survived the ups and downs of IVF and all of that stuff to playing a competitive sport at such a high level. Like that's super intense. Absolutely. I mean, I think the mental aspect of training and competing in the Olympics prepared me for the IVF journey as much as it could. It's nothing, nothing is perfect, obviously. But then I was actually talking to a friend the other day, our athletic background doesn't prepare you for birth at all. It's like the most humbling experience ever (laughs) to have a child. (laughs) And no matter how in shape you are, how much you've trained, it still comes down to, it is what it is. (laughs) Nothing prepares you for that experience. I mean, nothing I did, I should say. There could be other things that the people prepare in certain ways. I don't know how, but as an athlete, I was like, all right, I got this, you know, I'll push. It'll be fine. Holy Toledo. Yeah. Craziness. Right. (laughs) And so your husband's also in that coaches with you, right? So how did you guys meet? And that will lead me to my next question of how did you find out that she needed to go down the road of IVF? Yeah. So we met at the university of Maryland. I was a volunteer coach and he was a full-time coach. And because it took me so long to graduate, um, all my friends that I had made in the first few years, had already graduated. And so like uh-huh. when I went back, I think I had taken a year and a half off for the 2012 Olympics. So when I went back, I didn't know anybody and he's from South Africa. So he had come over and he didn't know anybody. And so we were on the field. And then after we were at the field, we would end at like four o'clock. We were like, do you want to grab dinner? Cause I'm just going to go home and eat alone. Yeah. And so we ended up going to like a ton of dinners and just talking and our backgrounds are so similar. Um, and we just realized like we had a lot in common and then he fell for me. I just, I'll just say that. <laughs> and the rest was history. <laughs> nice. But yeah. And then how we found out. So we ended up getting married and then in 2017, we decided that we were going to start trying. Mm-hmm. Actually, we were in South Africa And I had been on birth control for a long time because being an athlete, I didn't get my period really. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so they kind of, they put me on birth control to try to regulate my period. Mm -hmm. And then um, in South Africa, I was, we were just kind of like, I think we're ready. Let's just, you know, ditch the birth control and see what happens. Yeah. Um, So, and how long had you been married at that point? 
We got married in December of 2015, so a little okay. over two years. Okay. And um, so we weren't like actively trying, trying. Like I wasn't tracking anything. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of, you know, we weren't protected anymore. We weren't not trying. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it came to January of 2018. Yeah. January of 2018, I ended up having an ectopic. So okay. I was kind of, I kind of got the signals that I was pregnant and I was just like, I mean, I was, you know, drinking at the time still, you know, just living life and yeah. Um, one morning I woke up and I threw up and then my boobs hurt and I was just like maybe I'm pregnant you know yeah. and so I took a test and it was positive and I was like first off the holy shit moment like yeah. this is really happening and yeah. then I was like ecstatic mm-hmm. um and then a week after I was in excruciating pain mm. and from I think I mean, I'm sure a lot of people say this, but I think my pain tolerance is pretty high. Uh-huh. And so when I said to my husband, I think I need to go to the emergency room, he was like, oh no, oh my God, no. <laughs> like he was in total shock. Right. Um, he was like, all right, let's go. And he drove like a maniac and he got there uh-huh. um, and they were like, yeah, you need emergency surgery. Mm-hmm. We think it could be appendicitis, an ectopic or a burst um, cyst. Mm-hmm. And so that's all I knew. I went into surgery and I came out and they're like, yeah, we removed your tube. And I was like, what? Yeah. I was just in shock because my, my life goal was to have a family. Mm. Um, and so do you feel like they were empathetic to that at all? Or very matter of fact, like, no, I actually later, I never even talked to the doctor. uh, My experience was traumatic. It sounds like it. If that's how it was. Yeah. He had no bedside manners. Um, she was just on call. She had just come from like a day of delivering. And she, I think she just wanted to like get in, get out. Mm-hmm. Cause when I talk to doctors now, they're like, well, she didn't even give you a prescription first to see if it like, you know, passed or so that you keep your tube mm-hmm. or did she not try to drain it? So like, I have no idea about any of these medical things because I never talked to her. The report is really unclear. Mm-hmm. but past in the past it's gone yeah yeah <laughs> and then we kind of tried for a little bit longer but I did a lot of research like one tube it's definitely possible but it's going to be obviously a lot harder they say you can still get pregnant when you ovulate on your one side and it can go to your other tube all this sort of stuff but then I went to um my OB and I asked for a referral uh-huh. I was like you know what it's been quite a long time it's been a lot of experiences all wrapped up in one um we're both getting my husband's 10 years older than me I was like he's getting older I'm gonna get older um so we went and saw someone Mm -hmm. we did all these tests it does say my other tube has slight blockage so it probably I mean our so we didn't try any IUI or anything else we just went straight to IVF Uh Um, and so My OB gave me two recommendations for people, for doctors. Uh And I ended up going to the smaller practice because he thought with my experience, it would be more welcoming. Mm -hmm. And 
they were welcoming, but it wasn't the place for me. So I did okay. two rounds with this doctor. Mm-hmm. And if I have any advice for anyone who's going to be listening, it would yeah. definitely be to like to advocate for yourself. Okay. Because I didn't do it enough. And what situations had come up that you wish you would have advocated? So my first round, we did these medicines and we got one egg and it wasn't normal. And the egg wasn't normal itself or the egg was abnormal when we genetically tested it. So we did these, these medicines and he was like, you're supposed to get, you know, multiple follicles. Well, we got one follicle and he was like, you know, let's try again. And I was just like, well, if it didn't work the first time, why would it just magically work the second time? Yeah. But in my mind, I was like, he's a doctor. He does this for a living. He knows what he's talking about. And looking back, I wish I had said something Mm -hmm. because I wasted money to do all this again to have the exact, actually I got no eggs the next time. Okay. So, well, we got one egg out of retrieval, but it, it, it wasn't mature. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, you know, this guy and, and he was an hour away and he wanted me, he, the, after the first egg retrieval, he's like, why don't you come on in? We'll meet. We'll talk about the plan. I drove an hour to get there. I sat down in his office for five minutes and he said, we're just going to try the same thing again. All right, great charged me for the visit for a five minute sit down mm-hmm. and then I left. Yeah. And so the next time I was like, can we just do like a video call or a phone call? Because I don't want to go in and sit there and be charged for a five minute call. And it takes me two hours round trip. Yeah. And he got really snippy with me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He's like, I asked a question on the phone when we were talking about, it. he's like, this is why I like to sit down. And I was like, it's a simple question, dude. It's yeah. like, Yes or no. It's not that hard. You don't have to draw a picture. Right. Um, and so that's when I kind of realized that that was not the doctor for me. Yeah. And it's hard because I think to your point, we believe what they're saying and we kind of lose touch with our own intuition to know like, this does not feel good to me. And I think the more people hear conversations like this, know like it is okay for me to walk away and try somebody else. Right. Yeah. And I was just like, I put so much into this place. It was scary to leave. Yeah. But it was the best thing I ever did looking back because the next place I went to, I am in love with. Awesome. You know, um, so the next place I went to, it was, it's actually Shady Grove. It's quite a popular place. It's huge. Yeah. Uh-huh. And there's places all over. And you walk in and they're like, hey, Katie, welcome to your appointment. And I'm like, you're seeing a million people a day. How do you even know my name? You know, yeah. just like little things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, go a long way. And you're sitting in the office and I know there's a lot of people and you're sitting there and you're waiting, but I just love the feel. I like the doctors. They were more personable. Like just asking, you know, how's this going for you? I midway through your, your, your retrieval process. Uh How are you feeling? How are the meds for you? Uh No one asked me how the meds were at the last place. I hated Lupron. And I'm assuming as soon as you got there, they changed your protocol to something else based on your first rounds with my new doctor. I was on a different drug and I loved it because so Lupron from, I think it's Lupron or is that the TV show? Letrozole? No. 
Lupron is one, one of the drugs. Yeah. 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 I didn't know if that was a TV show I was watching or <laughs> the drug. Yeah. Uh, so Lupron makes me crazy. Mm-hmm. Like I remember the first week I took it, my husband was like, all right, pack your raincoats. I was like, I don't want it to rain. <laughs> and he was like, whoa. <laughs> um, but for me, it just isn't a drug that goes well with me. And I think it affects how many eggs I get. Mm. Um, and I'll tell you why in a second, but this, so my third round, first one with my new doctor, new drug, we ended up with four eggs, four, we ended up with four fertilized blastocysts. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. So I think we got like seven eggs and then through the process, we ended up with four blastocysts. That's great. And one of them was normal. Uh-huh. So I was like, Woo, great. This is awesome. Um, but then had a conversation with my husband and the doctor and we decided to bank eggs. Uh-huh. So we didn't want to just bank transfer. eggs or embryos. Sorry, bank um, embryos. Embryos. Okay. So we wanted to have, like, we wanted to go through multiple, tra- multiple yeah. retrievals mm-hmm. to get as many eggs as possible. Uh-huh. So the next round they were like, well, our typical protocol is Lupron. If you want to try it with us, because now you're less stressed, you like the venue, um, if you want, and you like the doctors, if you want to try it, we can try it. I was like, okay, I'm willing to try it. Yeah. No eggs. Oh no. Yeah. So for me, they're just like, okay, well, at least we can rule out the fact that like, this is not the drug for you. Officially. (laughs) Officially. Officially. I was like, I knew it all along, but I was willing to try Mm-hmm. Um, and then my fifth egg retrieval, we went back to the third medicine protocol. Mm-hmm. I think we ended up with three blastocysts and two were normal. Awesome. So we had three eggs total before we decided to transfer. Okay. And then we got super lucky. I think, well, and also another piece of advice for anyone going through IVF I would say if you have the money to definitely genetically test the eggs, mm-hmm. because, and even if you don't have the money, if you can find the money, because let's say this is how I explain it. And I know you're, you're way more professional than me than all of this, but though, if any different way can get through to someone, if you have five eggs and four of them will never last, you're mm-hmm. wasting money on putting those four eggs in when you could just test and put the one egg in. So I look at the genetic testing as actually a financial money saver mm-hmm. um, in the long run and a mental lifesaver because mm-hmm. to put in an egg that will never last, this journey is already too stressful. Yeah. So to put in an egg that will never last, you're just doing yourself more harm than good. Yeah. I know it's a, it's such a hard thing that, you know, when people decide to or not to test. And even when they do test, there's still that level of anxiety, right? Even though, you know, everything's great, you're still nervous. So to at least take one layer of, you know, concern away really does go a long way when you're in this process to know, okay, we can check that part off the list that we know it's at least a healthy embryo and move forward, which yeah, I agree. And then to your point, I mean, we've talked about this a ton, but to your point, there's still so many stressors and anxieties during the pregnancy that it's a nightmare. Like, I remember, I think I told you, I was like, I'm having nightmares about losing the baby. Like for three weeks straight, I would just 
dream or have nightmares about losing the baby. And it's so stressful because you do so much to get this baby in your arms. Mm-hmm. You've given up so much mentally, physically, financially. It's just like, once it finally happens, it's hard to believe that it's happening. And you're just always worried about losing it. Yeah. Every little thing that you do or see or hear, it's like, am I going to jinx it? Did I just mess it up? Am I going to, yeah, I know it's, it's a shame that going into a pregnancy, especially the, the first pregnancy has to be filled with so much stress when it really should be so much joy, but you can't unknow what you know, you know, based on other people's experiences that you hear of, as well as your history of what you've already gone through, right? Whether you've literally experienced a pregnancy loss or not, it's still the loss in general, as far as whether it's embryos or a cycle not working or whatever, it's like the disappointments, you almost feel like you're teed up for another disappointment instead of being like, okay, we're good. You know, it's fine now. And it takes a while to get to that point. I was just, um, looking at some pictures yesterday of my first pregnancy and I had, you know, week one, week two, you know, and then did the monthly ones. And I didn't do that with my other kids because I was so afraid of losing them. And it makes me so sad now. I just got goosebumps because I don't have that for them. Like I did with Holden because with Holden, I didn't have that experience to have so much fear. And with the other ones I did. And in, and in turn, I've missed out on those experiences to give to them to say, look at this is when mommy was pregnant with you because I was so afraid of losing that baby, you know? So I think it's, it was a good reminder for me to try to pass on to other people to say, you know, there now we know, I know tools to help others to move through that having been through it, but also like we do want to try to find the joy as soon as we know that we do have that positive test and, and to go through that. So leading to that, how, how was your pregnancy? How did you feel throughout the whole thing? And tell us a little bit about that. And once, when did you start to feel comfortable of like, okay, it's, it's sticking. We're good. When he was in my arms. Yeah. I know. Um, I also had, I also had like, an eventful pregnancy. (laughs) And um, so I started bleeding pretty much week six, like around the clock. And Dr. Google is the worst for pregnancy, (laughs) the worst. Um, So everything I looked up, I was like, I'm losing the baby, you know? And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's just so natural, I think, after so many heartaches. I mean, the tears are cried after failed egg retrievals. And it's just like you, same thing you're saying. I'm just echoing what you said, but you you prepare for the worst because Mm -hmm. somehow it seems like it'll make it feel better, but it really doesn't. Right. You still prepare. I don't know. It's, it's strange. Um, but, but my practice was great. I went in like, I must've Typically, I think you go in twice before you graduate to your OB. I think I was in my place like seven times doing ultrasounds and they welcomed me with open arms just to make me feel comfortable. I was bleeding and then they referred me to a a wrist doctor. So. And did they tell you what the bleeding, like what was happening? 
They didn't know, but when I went to the wrist doctor, I found out. Okay. So I had placenta previa. Okay. And I was being, I was active. So I was working out. Mm-hmm. And so like that would cause bleeding uh-huh. with the placenta solo. So, uh-huh. and I had a shortened cervix, so it didn't have far to go to. Yeah. And which, by the way, so I also had that, but for anyone listening, the the reason that the placenta previa is so dangerous is because of the amount of blood that circulates through the placenta when you are pregnant, after you've created this placenta. So literally people bleed out and die from it. And that's why it needs to be monitored so carefully. And, you know, even those first 12 weeks, I say to clients, don't work out, let the placenta, let everything happen and grow together the way it's meant to like, try not to disrupt anything because the risk is so high and it's just not worth it. Right. Yeah. And I wish like, you know, no one really told me that they kind of just said not to work out before the transfer and then not Mm -hmm. to work out like two to three weeks after the transfer until we got a heartbeat basically. So then once we got a heartbeat, I was jogging I mean it wasn't doing anything super super strenuous thank goodness for you probably for me I'd be like dying (laughs) maybe not now but um yeah so I would and then when I finally went to the wrist doctor and they kind of gave me some information they just cut me off working out Mm -hmm. um they said it should fix itself around 22 20 18 to 20 weeks Uh um all the while I was taking progesterone oil. So I was having those shots once a day. Yeah. Um, and they say that can cause some bleeding too. So there were a lot of factors. Um, yeah. and your mind just goes crazy thinking about what could be happening every yeah. single day. You're like, I know yeah. what it is, yeah. but it could be. <laughs> right. Right. And I feel like we all imagine pregnancy to be fine and normal. Like we don't, you don't hear, but I didn't know anybody who had placenta previa or shortened cervix or any of these other things before I had my own kids and went to specialists each time. But I think that's the other thing that's very understated is it pre- being pregnant is is a big deal. And you really do need to be very cautious about things you do, things you don't do. And everybody's pregnancy is different, right? Some people feel amazing and they have no issues and they like are lifting 300 pound dumbbells and doing crazy stuff, you know, running marathons. Um, and I think don't put that judgment on yourself or the expectation of yourself ahead of time of what it's going to look like for you, because there is such a broad range of, you know, what, is available for us and what can potentially happen or not happen. So true. And then once my placenta previa fixed itself, he was like, okay, you can start walking and just keep your heart rate below 145. And so I I have a heart rate strap and everything. And I was walking, I got a Peloton. Um, I got a Peloton, I was cleared a week later. I was on the Peloton for like a week and a half, two weeks, went back to the wrist doctor and I was cut off from working out again because they found my shortened cervix. So I think once I kind of went off the progesterone oil, um, Mm -hmm. then my cervix started to get shorter and shorter and I was working out. So um, 
next time I probably won't work out at all through my entire yeah. pregnancy. <laughs> but um, so then I got a shortened cervix and then I was just kind of at that point with my wrist doctor, it was, there's always a target for that next point to get to. So it was like, you know, we got to make it to 24 weeks yeah. um, at a certain measurement or you're going to get a, a clergy, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I made it to 24 weeks. Then I went on progesterone tablets and then uh-huh. he was like, all right, you got to make it to 28 weeks. So the baby is you know, a little bit more developed. And then I made it to 28 weeks, make it to 32 weeks. Yeah. And then once I made it to 32 weeks, he was like, I think you're good. <laughs> and then I only made it to 36 weeks and I had a baby. Um, but it was, and that's, for me, it was how my mind works as an athlete. It was like, you know, get through next month's training sessions and then you have that, yeah. that little break. Um, so it worked out well for me mentally. Once I reached my wrist doctor, I knew I was in good hands. I was getting scans every other week. Yeah. I don't know what I would do without my wrist doctor. Yeah. I know. It's one of those things that like, you never want to have to be referred to them, but then once you're there, you're like, oh my God, this is awesome. I get to see my baby every week and, you know, get there, be monitored with the heart thing and all the, all the things, which, you know, ends up being the silver lining of that situation, I think. And so you ended up delivering four weeks early, which is crazy on a first baby and everything went okay. Yes, apparently. I mean, I don't know much about giving birth barred by my experience, but apparently for my first, I had an amazing experience. Um, My water broke at two o'clock in the morning and I wasn't even sure my water broke. So I had, I'm just going to be open and honest about everything. I had gone to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I, so I got up, went to the bathroom, got back into bed, and I was like, oh no, I'm still peeing. <laughs> Ran back to the bathroom. Um, and I was like, oh man, I peed my pants. Um, Which can happen when you're pregnant, by the way, people who are listening, because again, you're, the baby is resting on your bladder. So it can uncontrollably can happen without any other cause. So Absolutely can. So don't just think of water for Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Um, but I just like, it was uncontrollable. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't, I was squeezing down there and I was like, I can't stop peeing. Uh-huh. Um, you know, got a new pair of underwear on, went back into bed and it happened again. And I was like, okay, this is, this is more than my bladder. I think I've emptied my bladder at this point. Um, so I went and then I got back in bed again and I started having like period cramps and I was like, oh, that's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm probably annoying the heck out of my husband. I'm just going to go downstairs and be downstairs and just do my thing down on the couch. So they started getting stronger and quicker. Like, so at five o'clock in the morning, I woke him up and I was like, I think I'm in labor but I'm not really sure. So we called the doctor and he was like, yeah, your water broke. You need to come into the hospital. And I was like, I'm not packed. I'm 36 weeks. <laughs> so pack at 32 weeks, everybody. Yeah. No, so, but so then we were like tornado city in our house yeah, in the rush. and I'm packing. I'm like, Oh, you know, having a contraction. He's like, are you okay? We got to go quicker. <laughs> it literally felt like the Olympics all over again. Yeah. Oh wow! Each other, throwing things in. I didn't use anything for my bag, not like my toothbrush. Right. So 
they have everything there for women. Um, it was really more important than my husband packed, but I felt like I needed to pack. Baby was already packed. I did have baby packed. Thank goodness. Uh Um, we got to the hospital at seven. Um, I was admitted by seven 30, uh, or no. Yeah. I was admitted at seven 30. Um, got into my room at nine o'clock at 11 o'clock. I started pushing and at two o'clock. I had a baby. That's amazing. And so crazy. Yeah. When I hear people are like, yeah, I've been in the hospital since yesterday at seven. And I'm like, oh gosh, <laughs> yeah. me, it was like zoom, zoom. That's awesome. And the lady, the nurse, I had a great nurse, but she wanted me to wait for my epidural so that I didn't prolong the process. Mm-hmm. But I was so nervous. This is me, my personal opinion. I was so nervous that I wasn't able to sit still through a contraction. And he was like, it might take two contract, two contractions to put it in. They're like, you're gonna have to sit still. I was like, they're getting stronger and I'm getting more uncomfortable. I was like, I think we should put it in, put it in. And I started pushing within 30 minutes. So if I hadn't put it in when I wanted to put it in. So I learned my lesson from my first IVF doctor that you advocate for yourself. Um, I was like, you know, it's time we're doing it and put it in 30 minutes later, I started pushing. So thank goodness, because if I didn't, I don't know how that would have gone. Ah, yikes. Scary to think. And, and the fact that people do it all the time now too, it's like, I mean, power to those. Yes, I agree. Well, that's so awesome. So you had a healthy baby boy. Yes. He's been amazing. And, um, all thanks to you, I was way more confident and comfortable (laughs) with the birth and coming home because it really is, they just like, they're like, all right, you're ready to go home. And they just send you home and you're like, there's no manual for this. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, But I felt very comfortable leaving the hospital because of all of our sessions. So thank you. Awesome. You're welcome. I'm so glad that you had that confidence and you were so well prepared. And I was thinking back on that because you really did dig into so much, I feel like, and ask so many questions. I think that's part of your training again, like, right? Like you want to be so prepared of whatever was coming. And I think that, that there's a lot to be said for that because again, you cut the weeks by four. That's, that's a lot of time. And you still had all the information I feel like that you pretty much needed. So that's awesome. Yeah. And so far everything's going well. Yeah. Going really well. I mean, there are some things you just have to figure out and there's not like what works for your neighbor may not work for you. And it's really just trial and error. Um, yeah, so we're we're in the process of trial and error for a little some sleep things, but other than that, it's it's going pretty well. Um, I think the best thing that my husband and I did is, um, and we spoke about this before, but we had an expectation conversation before mm-hmm. the baby, um, and knowing what he thought it should look like after and what I thought it should look like after was the best thing that we could have talked about because we had very different ideas. So yeah. he still expected, you know, warm food on the table, house to be cleaned. Uh, he thought we were going to get a ton of sleep. And for me, it was like, I thought it was going to be messy house, you know, order in um, and that sort of stuff. So we set expectations ahead of time to know what each other wanted and needed. Uh, so what it looked like for us coming home, our first two weeks, we did a lot of, um, delivery food 
Mm -hmm. um, there was pretty much no sleep happening. Um, and we ended up getting a maid <laughs> yeah. that we talked about. You, you said, you know, if those are the expectations, you might want to consider it. <laughs> and we did. And it was, it was great. I mean, we have, we ended up doing a maid for the first three months of his life. So we decided on that and then we would readdress it, but uh -huh. it's been going really well. It's just nice for someone to kind of kickstart the cleaning and then you can kind of keep it up because there's really no time, especially if my child doesn't love to be put down. So it's holding him most of the day. Um, so it doesn't really leave too much time to do anything. Yeah. Um, so that probably was the best thing we did was have an expectation talk. Yeah, that's great advice. Thanks for sharing that, Katie. Um, and I think too, to your point of just trying to pass off as much as you can, right. And realize you can't do all the things and be present and the days go by so fast. And even though they do sleep a lot, there's so much random things to do in between. Right. So I think that's great as far as being able to ask for help and, and push off whatever you possibly can. Yeah. It was a game changer when my mom showed up, Yeah, she showed up at three weeks and I was just like, Oh wow, this is amazing. So if someone offers help, don't be afraid to take it. Yeah, for sure. And where can people find you? I am on social media. So Facebook, um, I'm on um, Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Those are probably are my three. What are your handles? Oh gosh, I don't even know. Okay. We'll post them in the, in the podcast okay. for people to and follow your story because I think it's really great to have the hopeful, the happy ending, you know, when people are going through such a traumatic experience, you know, month after month. And it's nice to get those stories to know that it can happen and it will happen and just having patience. And, and like you said, being your own advocate, if you need to change doctors as hard as that is, um, but follow your gut because most of the time your gut is telling you the right thing. Yeah. And additionally, I love the name of the new company because it does take a tribe. And I think whenever I talk to anybody who's starting or thinking about IVF, it, I literally say I'm part of your tribe now because yeah. it helps. I had so many people to talk to going through the journey and getting ideas or, you know, just, just even venting sometimes is nice. And so, um, if I didn't have my tribe and I literally, before you even called this, you know, anything tribe, to do with tribe, I called my people, my tribe and I text them, Hey tribe, how's it going? Oh, you know? And so whenever I talk to anyone, I say I'm part of your tribe. So it's so fitting. I love <laughs> so that. Thanks fitting. for adding that in because yes. it really does. It matters to talk to somebody who gets it right. And that that's part of your the tribe and everybody has a voice at the table and everybody matters. Everybody's story matters, no matter what your ending is or where you're at in your path or whatever. So I, yeah, we are all here to support each other, which is so cool. Yeah. So I'm part of anyone's tribe who needs me. So always reach out. I'm always on, you know, you can message me on Instagram. I think my handle is, is Katie OD one six. So feel free to message me. I'm part of your tribe too now. So and I wish everyone luck in there. Any journey they have with, with, future family, whether it be adoption or IVF, infertility, birthing, whatever. Thanks so much, Katie. Thanks for your time today. And we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Pretty Little Tribe. And if you related to this episode, take a screenshot and hashtag Pretty Little Tribe because we want to see those in our DMs so then we can share them in our story too and give you some love back. Of course, if you have a topic idea or want to be on the podcast, email us at prettylittletribe at gmail.com. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks again for joining your tribe today and we will see you next time. Bye.